Amen. Okay, so we're continuing to go through the book of Ruth. We're up to chapter 3 now of our um, Sunday evening Bible study on Ruth. Um, as a quick summary, so in chapter 1, Elimelech, if you remember, this is a guy that he left Israel during a famine with his wife Naomi and two sons. He, he died. The sons then married uh, two Moabite women, and, and then 10 years later, they both died as well, didn't they? Um, this then left Naomi and her two uh, daughters-in-law. One of those, Ruth, swears to stay by Naomi's side and they return to Bethlehem together. Um, then in chapter 2, we saw that Ruth um, starts going out to basically make use of God's benefit system. Do you remember we talked about how that kind of gleaning and being able to go and gather off the corners, which were the edges of the fields and, and the gleaning, the stuff that was left behind was a way of, of the poor, the, the widows, the fatherless, the stranger, um, were able to then still be able to, to feed themselves that way. Um, so we had a look at that, and, and Ruth ended up in this guy Boaz's field, didn't she? And he ended up being very kind to her and, and basically rewarding her for all the good that she had done towards Naomi, her mother-in-law. Um, and, and in the end of the chapter... Um, so back in chapter 2, verse 23, it says, So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. And then we go straight into verse 1. So remember, she's, she's kept fast, she's kept close to them to glean until the end of harvest. She dwelt with her mother-in-law, then verse 1. So this is after that time. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may, may be well with thee? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we get going. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. Um, I pray now that you just help everyone to, to, you know, stay attentive and stay alert on this Sunday evening. Um, j just help, help me to preach accurately and boldly, to preach the message clearly, what you want them to hear. Fill me with your spirit, please, Lord. Fill me with, with boldness and, um, and just help everyone to, to be able to apply what they hear today as well. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Okay, so again, like I said, this seems to be after the harvest period, if you look at that. Now, Ru Ruth has been gleaning for a while now, hasn't she? I don't know how long that period is, but probably a good few weeks or so, maybe longer, she's been gleaning. So this is a bit of a, this is further down the line now, because she's turned up at, at barley harvest, and barley harvest is the first crop to harvest, and she carries on, it said, in verse 23 of chapter 2, until the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. So she's obviously been there for a little bit of time now. Um, now, said here then, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And remember in chapter 1, when we looked at this in verse 9, where Naomi said, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And, and we were talking about that rest from getting married. And remember, I was saying that without our modern benefit system, marriage is rest, isn't it? Okay, marriage should have been and should still be, should still be rest for, for a young lady or, you know, whether she's young or not. And look, some of you with multiple children, you know, teaching them at home, especially cooking three meals a day, maybe more. You might question that. You might be sitting here going, oh, I don't know, this, this doesn't seem like rest. And... Look, it's only really, though, because of the apparent alternative of the free childcare, of the free schooling, which is free, isn't it? And, and should it be? Well, it's not really free. Yeah, we pay for it in our taxes, don't we? But 
it, it's like an alternative. So, well, well, because you're looking at the world and going, well, this isn't easy, this isn't rest. But, but you know, that's quite, school, school itself, and that's sco like schooling where, where basically you've got the whole nation going to school is actually a very new thing in history. Okay, and, and really before that it was homeschooling and maybe the very rich would be able to pay for them to go off. So the alternative to that for a lady to have kids and then to have to go to work and everything else is tough. When, who's going to look after the kids? So how does that work? Like, that's tough, isn't it? So really it's only because we've been given now, really, and re like it's a recent thing, isn't it? This alternative that we look at as if that's normal to just send your child off to be looked after by, by strangers and by God-haters a lot of the time and the rest of it. Now, look, I, again, I'm not getting on anyone here because everyone has their own situation and stuff, but for me, it's, uh, for me, it's clear as day that God's ideal would be that we, that we train our own children, okay? Yeah. Um, where possible. Now, Ruth's alternative doesn't look so great, does it? Okay, so Ruth's alternative to getting married is what? Is basically her working, she's gleaning in the field, she's going to have to basically work hard and break her back to provide for herself and and her, her mother-in-law, okay? Not so good. Remember, she made a vow, didn't she, to look after her mother-in-law as well. So for her, this is looking pretty tough. But it's talking about a rest here. And I don't know if people have noticed this before when you've read this, but Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, okay? Boaz is a picture of Christ. And, and look, in the Old Testament, there are many pictures of Jesus Christ. There's much symbolism of Jesus Christ. And what people get a bit hung up on sometimes is they see a symbol or a picture and, oh, well, it's not exact or it's not, well, did that person get saved? Well, no, it's a picture. It's a picture. It's a symbolism of. Now, one of those symbolisms of Jesus Christ is Boaz in the book of Ruth. And there are many throughout. I think our pastor right now is going through Genesis and been showing the many, many pictures of, of Joseph being a pictures of Jesus Christ. And just, I mean, wow, like the amount, the amount in there in those last chapters of Genesis. But um, turn to Hebrews 4. Here the symbolism is that rest in Christ, and it's going to be that rest in Boaz. Now, in the same way that the Sabbath was pointing towards the rest in Christ as well, we're seeing this with Boaz. In Hebrews chapter 4, and look at verse 1, it says, Hebrews 4, 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now this is talking about the unbelieving ones of the children of Israel. Why did the word preached not profit them? Why not? Was it because Moses and Aaron didn't play enough modern music to get them to come to the worship? Yeah, that was maybe it. They didn't, you know, it wasn't quite attractive enough wherever they were worshipping. Was it that the soul winners weren't using, you know, a modern enough version of God's word and changed it into a more, more no? No, they, they didn't have faith. Yeah, they didn't have faith. And that's what it comes down to, isn't it? The word preached them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And that's what it is, isn't it? They didn't have the faith. That's what it's all about, the faith, isn't it? It's all about the faith. Verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So us believers enter into God's rest, and that's through Christ, who, where it says the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You don't have to turn it. First Peter 1.20 says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. 
talking about Jesus Christ there. Verse 4 in, in Hebrews 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, that's that, that Sabbath day, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. The first Sabbath, a picture of rest in Christ, right? And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Not because they didn't repent of all their sins, was it? That's not why they didn't enter into the rest of Christ. Not because they carried on sinning afterwards, it was because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Verse 7, again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now this is referring to Psalm 95. And he's saying that when someone hears the word of God, they've got to not harden their hearts. Because many do, don't they? We, we, you get that many times. I'm sure people got that this afternoon when they're out soul winning. You get people that just harden their hearts. They start to get it, and then you see just that hard that hardening happen, don't you? You see them just suddenly just almost. Sometimes you almost see like the back straighten up, don't you? And it's just like right, not having it anymore. They just don't don't want it. They don't want to put their faith in Christ. It said in verse eight, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So they were given their chance. They rejected God. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And amen to that, eh? Praise God that there is that rest, and, and it is a rest, isn't it? And obviously we're seeing just time and time again it being referred to as that rest in Christ. We're seeing that picture of, of the Sabbath, or the Sabbath day being a picture of that. For he that is entered into his rest, he, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So the Sabbath was a picture of salvation, resting from our own works, our own attempts. You don't have to turn to Isaiah, and of course, because Isaiah 646 says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We've got no way of working our way to heaven, have we? We've got no hope of trying to work our way to heaven, but how many people still think they do? How many people, we, we had that today, we had a fairly elderly lady, and, and that could always be sad, because you kind of feel like, how many more chances are you going to get? <laughs> and and when, when they answer the door, and the first thing they say is, is yeah, I'm good enough, I know I'm good enough. You know already you're going to have a hard time, aren't you? Mm -hmm. and, and, and we got that. And, and part of you thinking, does she get it? No, she got it. And she got to the point where she got it, but she, they, they, they don't, for them, no, you still have to be good. They might, because they've hedged their bets on that for 80-odd years of life, haven't they? Well, there's no chance of that, is there? Verse 11, let us labour, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So... He's saying you better make sure you get saved. And obviously it's an ironic use of the word labour there, isn't it? He's just been saying you can't work your way to heaven. We just need to make sure that we get saved is what he's saying. Just make sure that you're saved. And, and you know, and just in case, he adds here, doesn't he, at the end, lest any man fall off the same example of what? By not labouring? No, by unbelief. Right, so go back to roof three. So clearly that rest there is that rest in salvation. The Sabbath is a picture of rest in Christ. And Boaz is a picture of rest in Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And isn't it a great rest that we get? And isn't it great when you get saved to just know I'm saved? Nothing can change that. I'm saved. I'm not, I don't have to work to keep being saved. I didn't have to work to get saved. I just had to get saved. What a rest that is. Now, verse 2, And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou was. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. 
So remember that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's and therefore also Ruth's uh, late husband as well. Okay. Now winnowing is to separate grain from the, ch from the chaff and this is usually by use of either the wind, they do it outdoors, or a makeshift fan. So they make some sort of fan, I'm not saying like an electric fan, they might be moving something to, to make, make that kind of, you know, to, to fan it basically, to fan the grain. Now the, the, the chaff is the inedible husks, the waste, right? And again with the Christ picture, what's Boaz doing? Boaz is sorting the wheat from the chaff. A famous saying, isn't it? And, and you have to turn a bit. Matthew 3.12, John the Baptist is speaking to Jesus whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does? He sorts the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. Okay, and it, uh, for me, that's a picture again with Boaz there. Now look at verse 3. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor but make not thyself known unto the man until till he shall have done eating and drinking. So Naomi is saying, you better scrub up, girl, yeah? She's saying, scrub up good and don't interrupt a man when he's eating. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, amen to that, eh? If only more women around the world would understand that. Don't interrupt a man when he's eating. Okay, what great lesson from Naomi there. So Ruth is going to him and... and Again, with the Jesus Christ picture here, we choose to come to Jesus, don't we? Okay, we choose to come to Jesus because, look, and it should be obvious, shouldn't it? But the Calvinists and every other so-called non-Calvinists which seem to be affected by Calvinism to some degree say that he chooses you, don't they? That's what they try and say. Well, well he does in a way, doesn't he? Because Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah, God wants you all to come to repentance. And no, that's not repenting of your sins. That's repentance, yeah? That's a change of mind and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He chooses everyone. He wants everyone to get saved, doesn't he? Yeah, he wants everyone to get saved. First Timothy 2.4, you don't have to turn there, says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. There's not just this select few. He wants everyone to get saved. Does everyone get saved, though? Why not? Because it's free will. Because you have the choice. Do you want to get saved? Do you want to put your faith in Christ? But believe it or not, in life, God's will isn't always done, is it? Well, God's will's not done. But he's, they like to, oh, he's sovereign. Everything that God wants done is being, that's what the, that's what the Calvinist believes, doesn't he? Yeah. What every single wicked, filthy sin and crime that you see out of these doors, and sadly sometimes in these doors as well, is saying that God's will no way is it, is it? What, that God wants all the wickedness we see that goes on in this world? No, he doesn't. It's not his world. Look, he wants all those people to go to hell. No, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? But God gives us free will, doesn't he? Okay, and that's life. That's life. Free will in life. Now, Ruth coming to Boaz, I think, is a picture of us coming to Christ. But, but who told her to go to Boaz? Ruth's mother-in-law. Ruth's mother-in-law is telling her to go to Boaz. And that's a good picture of soul winning, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good picture of soul winning. She's saying to her, go to what is the Christ figure, isn't it? Go to get that rest. And that's what we're all doing, aren't we? We're telling people to get saved. But we can't force people to get saved, can we? Okay? She doesn't force her. She still makes a choice. But we encourage and we tell them to. In fact, we plead with them. Sometimes we're almost begging them. We're imploring them. 
but they still have to choose to do it, don't they? But there it's a good picture of that. And, and that's her daughter-in-law. And obviously when it comes to family, we should. How, how frustrating is it when you get someone saved on the door and then they don't want to get their family down to get saved? Oh, no, 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 they won't be. No, no, they're too. It's just, wow, really? But people do that, don't they? The selfishness of people. But look, she still has free will. Naomi tells her to go. And like I said, she's telling her, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that Turner says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as our God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's basically saying we urge you. And that's what we're doing, aren't we? We're out somewhere just urging people, please, just get saved. You don't have to go to hell, please. Please, but it doesn't mean they will. Naomi said in verse 3, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not my, thyself known unto the man until ye shall have done eating and drinking. These are all pictures of salvation, aren't they? See that there? When we're saved, we're washed clean from our sins, aren't we? She said, wash thyself therefore. You don't have to turn to Revelation 1.5 says, and from Jesus Christ who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We're washed, aren't we, when we're saved? Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, what's the anointing? The Holy Ghost, isn't it? That renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the anointing. Again, you have to turn to 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaching you of all things, and his truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. It's clearly talking about the Holy Ghost there, yeah? And then the raiment or clothing, again, is a sign of salvation, isn't it? In the parable of heaven in Matthew twenty-two twelve, you remember that? The king says, and he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So, and what happens? He gets cast into outer darkness, doesn't he? Revelation 6, 11, last one. And, and again, you don't have to turn there, just I want to get this point quickly. Talking of the saved in heaven, and white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So for me, that, that, that verse in, in Ruth, where are we? Ruth, Ruth 3, chapter 3, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee is a definite picture of, of going to Christ for salvation. Yeah? The washing, the anointing, the change of clothing. Now look at verse 4. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Now, look, for me, again, this is another picture. This is another image of, of, of you know, of, for me, this is basically when the two Marys have been to the sepulchre. If you turn to Matthew 28, so Matthew chapter 28, you might disagree with me here. I don't know. For me, I, I see this this as another picture. And like I said, a lot of them, they're just pictures. They're kind of their little hints towards it. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 6. So the two Marys have been to the sepulchre. And the angel says in Matthew 28, 6, he is not here. It's obviously after Christ's death and burial. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now look at verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. And there 
shall they see me? So prostrate by his feet and then they're told what to do. And we see here with, with um, Ruth here, she's told to mark the place where he shall lie. Then thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Okay? Again, for me, that's a picture of that. But in the story of Ruth here, it's uh, coming away now from those pictures of Christ. It's to wake him up and to talk to him privately. Okay? So here she wants to wake him up and talk to him privately. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. So she still has free will, doesn't she? Okay? She's told to go and get, the picture is she's being told to get saved. A picture. Okay? For me, Ruth is already saved. But she's being told here to go and get saved. That's a picture of Christ with Boaz. And she says, yes, I will. Okay? I will. Verse 6 says, she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Now this is where the carnal Christian will see this and want to see alcohol, won't they? They'll look at that and go, look, look, his heart was merry. He must have been, he must have been smashed. He must have at least had it, oh, he had a bit of a drink. Or he at least had a, you know, he probably just, just had an eat and had maybe, you know, a few good glasses of wine. You know, just, just kind of in moderation, just got a bit merry. But I don't know about you, but when I've eaten and drunk, non-alcohol, and some nice, nice juice from my meal, my heart's merry. Anyone else have a merry heart when I eat some good food and drink? Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that as well. But just because our world now will start calling a little bit tipsy merry doesn't mean that, that that applies to here, does it? Okay, so for me here, he ate and drunk, his heart was merry. But I've heard this used before by, by these carnal Christian types who just want to find any way to justify boozing even though the bible says clearly not to look upon alcohol but all they want to see something immoral here as well so i actually um i the first church i was really a part of wicked liberal church which um, i would doubt many of them were saved there looking back now but at the time you kind of you know you could just feel that the spirit's kind of starting to really get pricked with things and fortunately eventually i left but one of the things i did do before i did is i, I used to go around to pastors i think it was on a monday morning early in the morning uh, invited me round with some other guy and we used to do a Bible study and, and he wanted to go through Ruth. Now when we say a Bible study, what they actually, all these, they'll just have this book of studying Ruth by some other guy. <laughs> and you basically just go through it together, you know, because most of these guys, it's just all just, everything's plagiarised, isn't it? It's all just grabbing what someone else has done and said. Nothing's, nothing's original at all. But anyway, we got to this point and the question is, well, what really happened? You know, what does that really mean here? And obviously they're using false Bible versions. And maybe I, if I'd had time, I would have maybe looked at what, what the different versions say at this point. But it's like, oh, you know, is uncovering the feet. Is it a euphemism for something else he's questioning? Why? Why is that a euphemism for something else? Oh, well, maybe they fornicate. Why? Why? She's a virtuous woman. This guy's a righteous man. What a load of nonsense. She went down the bottom of his feet and uncovered his feet. Why does she uncover his feet? Well, I, I think for me, it's a way of, of him waking up. And he wakes up in the night when your feet, I don't know if you, some people like their feet out of covers. For me, it gets cold and, I get, and it, it makes me wake up. Yeah. Okay, when you, if you ever you fall asleep downstairs or something and it's a bit cold, you know, and then when you start getting your feet come out of what, whether you've got anything on you or not, when you don't have a cover, you, you can wake up easily, don't you? Okay, that's pretty standard for me, but 
They want to see something like that, but no, they weren't fornicating. There's nothing to suggest that in the text. Verse 8, And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, afraid for me is, is basically startled. Okay, so he's a bit startled because he's woken up with his feet uncovered, and at his feet he sees a woman there. Okay, so his feet are cold. He sees a woman there. Verse 9, And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now, skirt is a lower and loose part of a coat or other garment, okay? It's a lower part of that. The part below the waist is the skirt of a coat or mantle, yeah? No, Boaz wasn't a cross-dresser, in case anyone's wondering here, okay? So it wasn't that he was wearing a dress or wearing a kilt. He wasn't doing any of that. But what he was doing is he was... He, he was he was lying down, and she said, spread therefore thy skirt. And basically, she's saying, Boaz, I want you to take care of me. Look after me, protect me. That's what that pi that's a picture of, okay? Um, looking after me, protecting me. And that's a pretty humble approach, isn't it? So Ruth says to her, I am Ruth on handmaid. Basically, will you look after me? Will you protect me because you're a near kinsman? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because nowadays, sadly, most women would look that as weak, wouldn't they? Asking a man to protect them, to look after them. Well, you should be a strong, dominant, independent woman, shouldn't you, Ruth? You've been out gleaning. You don't need a man. Who needs a man? Isn't that what they try and say now? Well, they're rubbish, eh? The Bible calls the wife the weaker vessel, doesn't it? Uh, have I got that wrong, no? Ephesians 5.22. And by the way, it's not just the world. It's the so-called Christian world would say the same. But Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their hus own husbands in everything. Did you say something? <laughs> everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that verse alone is telling me husbands you better know the spiritual condition of your wife doesn't it okay husbands it says love your wives even as christ also loved the church against himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word and obviously for me that's what husbands should be doing with their wives shouldn't they sanctifying and cleansing them how are you doing that if you've got no idea what your wife's even listening to? Got no idea what your wife does in the daytime? And I'm not saying you have to be checking up on her, but, but if, you've, if you never teach your wife anything out of the Bible, how are you washing her with the, how are you sanctifying and cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word? If you're not doing any, sorts of, any sort of spiritual growth at home together, if you're not talking about anything spiritual, you're not doing any of that, are you? I don't think so. Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And that's a responsibility, isn't it? That's a responsibility as husbands to be spiritually growing our wives, to be helping our wives, to be, to be trying to prevent them from having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And yeah, obviously it's not talking about spots and wrinkles there. You don't have to be there squeezing the spots and <laughs> ironing out the wrinkles. But 
but it's it's about making them holy without blemish. That's what it says there, isn't it? And that's what we're we're that's what we're trying to do as husbands, aren't we? We want to guide, we want to help our wives to be that because the Bible does call them the weaker vessel. No, that's not saying that they're a lesser person. That's not saying that they're not as good as men. That's just saying that they're different, isn't it? And there's different roles in life. And and you could look at that and go, oh, well, that's all right. Well, that's the responsibility, though, isn't it? And having responsibility isn't always a great thing. Yeah, a lot of people look at that. Oh, it's okay for the for the person at the top. No, it's not, because you've got a responsibility there, and ultimately you're going to be getting chastised as well when it goes wrong. And that's something you need to be doing. You need to be you need to be basically trying to make sure that your wife is holy and without blemish. Verse twenty-eight. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no ever no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the church. So obviously, it's not just, you know, reading Bible at your wife every night, and that should sort it. it there's a whole package there, isn't there? Okay? But basically, Ruth is saying to, to Boaz, like, I want you to look after me. I want you to, to help me grow. I want you to, to, to spiritually protect me as well. I want you to do all this for me. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And I've preached a bit recently on that, on that loving your wife, but, but and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And Ruth is showing that attitude straight away there, isn't she? Straight away, she's just saying, please look after me, please protect me, and everything else. I wonder how many times you see that chat up line nowadays. <laughs> you know, hey, come here often, will you look after me, <laughs> protect me forever? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, as a man of God, I think that would, for me, be a lot, more of a, a lot more appealing than some woman going, yeah, well, I don't need a man. You know, I'm just so, I'm just so independent. And it's like, yeah, whatever, do one. You know, because you're so out of God's will like that. Verse 10, back to, back to Ruth, Ruth 3 there. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Now, Boaz isn't puffed up either here, is he? So she's saying, please look after me. Boaz is saying, look, blessed be thou, the Lord, my daughter, thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. He's basically saying, you're showing me kindness here. Or maybe it's not just to her, it's also to Naomi, as we'll see. But because, look, Ruth could have just found a man to marry early on, couldn't she? I, th I think she's a catch. You go, oh, you don't know what she looks like. She's a catch, yeah? She's a catch. Look, look, it's clear as day. Like, these first two chapters, for me, it's like, wow, she's a, finally I was single. No, I'm joking. But, but she is a catch, isn't she? Because Ruth here is, is, she is loyal, she's hardworking, she's industrious, she's humble, she's, she's fulfilling her promise, she wants to look after her mother. She, this, this woman's got it all, hasn't she? Yeah, hasn't she got it all? And, and look, Boaz is just going, well, wow. You know, wow, look, someone like this, someone like, he's not going, oh, because you, look, the description of it is not really important, is it? Like, what, what, look, and I'm not saying, obviously, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to like who your, who your future spouse looks like. You want to not, at least not be put off by their looks. Then everyone, there's horses for courses, aren't there? Okay, and for what one, you know, what one person might find beautiful is it what another one does, you know? But, but, 
more important than any of that, surely, more important than any of that, is, their, is, is who they really are, isn't it? And if they're going to be a good wife and if they're going to be a good husband, you know? Because, look, nowadays, and probably it's always been like this, I doubt there's anything new under the sun, but it just seems to be all about looks, isn't it? All about, and, what, and, and as well, like, whatever the fashionable look is, have you noticed that as well? There's always, like, a new fashion of what apparently is a good look, and people are so easily brainwashed, they almost get pulled into that, don't they? Suddenly, they've all got to look this way, and before, they all had to look that way, and obviously, men are more susceptible to this, but it does happen with women as well, doesn't it? But here, he's just like, wow. But also, because what would have happened to Naomi had she just gone and got married straight away? Because if she had, if she'd just gone and found anyone to marry her so she didn't have to go and glean and everything else, would they have looked after Naomi? And if they'd said, no, I'm not looking after Naomi, she should be submitting to her new husband, shouldn't she? Her new husband's authority, who would have just said, well, look, that's not got nothing to do with me, Naomi, now that's done. You've you, you moved on now. You're, you're my wife. We have a family. That's it. You're under my household. And that would likely have, have probably then meant the end of her friendship and, and her responsibilities and everything to Naomi, which obviously she's made that promise. She wants to look after her. So instead, what's she done? And it sounds like Boaz is a bit older. I don't know what age he is there. Maybe, maybe he's, not, you know, he's not an oil painting himself. I don't know. He's a picture of Christ. Christ had no form nor comeliness, did he? Now... But instead, look, here, she's gone to Boaz, hasn't she? She's gone to Boaz, the kinsman of the family, to continue the family name and therefore provide for the widow Naomi as well, right? So verse 11, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. What's top of Boaz's requirements for a wife? She's a virtuous woman, Yeah. Young ladies here, that's something to aspire towards, isn't it? In fact, that's something everyone, young, young or old ladies here, shouldn't, we, shouldn't, shouldn't they all be aspiring towards that? That sh thou art a virtuous woman. And young men here, isn't that something to, to seek as well? Yeah. Is that something that every young man should be seeking is a virtuous woman? What is a virtuous woman? Well, Proverbs 31 sets the bar, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's go there. Proverbs 31. This is it. <laughs> Time for us men to beat our wives with the Proverbs 31 stick. Because <laughs> you can't beat that Proverbs 31 stick, can you? <coughs> no, but, it, but in all seriousness, this is, this is a benchmark. This is a virtuous woman. So should we see what this virtuous woman is like? And I wonder if it fits kind of the ideal woman that the world tells us is. I think it's going to be a little bit different. Um, okay, Proverbs 31 and uh, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Okay, so it doesn't sound like there, there's that many of them out there, does it? They're few and far between. And I don't know, I would say if you jump forward now a couple of thousand years, I would say they're even fewer and further between. <laughs> the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She's industrious. She riseth also while it is yet night. She's not, she doesn't sound like she's having lions, does it? And giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. So she, she's even able to, to, to help out with work from home there. 
She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Okay, so she's not just some little dolly bird. She's obviously able to do stuff. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. So she's up early in the morning and she's up till late at night. She's a hard worker. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. So she's happy to, to do hard work from home as well. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hand to the needy. So she's obviously kind and generous as well. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. So she works hard to make sure that they're properly prepared and they're, they're not going out there freezing. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. So, so she obviously, you know, dresses well as, and, and, and due to her industry, I think, there. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land because some people would say a man's known by his wife. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. So she's helping her husband from home here. Strength and honour are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth. By the way, strength and honour are her clothing, not, you know, some whatever, the, like I said, the fashionable new looks are. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. So she's obviously a godly woman there, isn't she? Because where does wisdom come from? The word of God. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praiseth her. Okay, so they, they obviously appreciate her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favour is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So she'll be praised for her own works. And a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And here, look, what a difference that is, isn't it? What a difference to what our world tells us is, is what women should be seeking to aspire to be, yeah? There, that's a hard-working, industrious, faithful, God-honouring woman, okay? And, and look, if only women nowadays would, would look more at Proverbs 31 and aspire to be like that, and spend all their time and effort looking at the latest beauty therapies and the latest ways to look a certain way. Try and act like the Proverbs 31 woman, eh? And, and yeah, what, what, and look, what, what a contrast that is, but also what, what, a, what, what a great, just to have that mapped out as well and to be able to say, look, that's what, that's what women should be aspiring towards, that's what men should be looking for, that's what we want to be training our daughters to be like, yeah? That's what we want to be training our sons to be looking for. But also uh, to understand as well that, that, is, that there's a benchmark bar there. And look, we all fall short, don't we? Okay, we all fall short. So what we don't want to do is use Proverbs 31 to then make our wives feel small or to make, you know, or to basically never find a wife because you're like, it's just not, she doesn't do that bit, you know. It's like, oh, she's just not making the clothing. You know, she's not the right wife for me. No, there, there's obviously that's a picture-perfect wife, but it's a great thing to aspire towards, isn't it? Hey, um, okay. Verse twelve, back to back to where we were in, in Ruth chapter three, and verse twelve. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. So Boaz is saying there's a family member that's closer. Than him, He then says in verse 13, Tarry this night and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, 
well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do as a part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down in the morning. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25, because this, what's this all about, this kinsman? So it's basically for when a family member dies without children and leaves a widow behind, which is exactly the situation that, that Ruth is in here. Um, so when someone's widowed without having had children, Deuteronomy 25 says from verse 5, if brethren dwell together, and I think really they're, you know, they're looking at the context with here in Ruth, it's talking about family members, and one of them die, and I think dwelling together, I don't think it necessarily means in the same home either, I just think it means in the same area, so it's not like someone has to relocate for this, and if, if brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So basically it was to keep that family name going. Now, if you go back to where we are in Ruth 3, we saw that he's talking about doing that, but he says... He says that there's someone that's close. He's saying there is a closer family member that has that right to refuse that. So this is an honest guy. Like, he seemed pleased by the proposition, didn't he? But he's still saying, I want to do things the right way. Yeah. Okay, so again, he's a good example, isn't he, Baz? It's not just all about the example of Ruth in this book. Um, okay, verse, uh, where are we, sorry? Um, okay, verse 14. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. Okay, and, and I don't know, you could say there again, because it says that she rose up before one could know another with that picture of Christ and maybe Mary Magdalene coming to the sepulchre early when it was still dark. I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm going, going too far there. But verse 15, also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it, and when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. I reckon there's probably something, a picture there with a veil, maybe the veil being taken down there. I don't know. I don't, I'm not exactly clear on that. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. So remember, it's dark and early in the morning as well, like we just saw there. So she's like, oh, well, you know, who is it? as she comes in remember he's just loaded up with these six measures of barley now have a look at this verse 17 and she said these six measures of barley gave he me for he said to me go not empty until unto thy mother-in-law then said she sit still my daughter until thou know how the matter will fall for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day so for me again it's that rest in christ isn't it so the six measures, like the six days thou shalt work, I think, the seventh signifying that rest in Christ, she's been given the six measures and now Ruth is saying to her, sit still and, and until thou know how the matter will fall. Ru Ruth is now sitting still and putting her trust in Boaz, isn't she, to do what he said he would do, to redeem her. And like Christ, I believe Boaz will do as he promised there, won't he? So for me, that is that, that rest of Christ. And, and look, for everyone here as well, that, that's, uh, look, I hope everyone here is saved. Not only do we have rest in Christ, but we can also trust that Jesus Christ will do as he promises to do. Amen. Okay, and it's not just salvation. It's not just heaven. 
There's so many promises in the Word of God. And, and if you're saved, if, if you're saved and you know for sure that, you, that look, not, look, you're going to heaven no matter what happens, yeah, based on your faith in Jesus Christ, not based on any works of righteousness, not based on any continued works of righteousness, just based on your faith in Jesus Christ, not based on some genetic family line or any of that, just based on faith in Jesus Christ, then you can trust all the other promises of the Bible as well. Yeah, you can trust the other things. You can trust that there's coming a millennial reign. Yeah, there's coming some, some amazing reign of Christ. There's coming a new heaven and new earth. There's coming a time when there shall be no more tears. There's coming a time when, when you're going to be living in glory in the presence of God. Uh, and you can believe all of that. You can trust all of that because we can trust Jesus Christ. Amen. Because otherwise you're trusting for one thing and then you're picking and choosing what you trust, aren't you? And you, and you can trust him where, you know, the many things he says, when he says, you know, take upon me, you know, my, my, my yoke is, is, is easy and my burden is light. And, and look, you can go to the Lord in prayer and he's going to answer your prayer. You can trust that. You can trust that when you live by the word of God that you are going to be blessed in terms of you're going to be having. I'm not saying you're going to suddenly have riches and rewards. and you know, It's not that you're going to, you know, live your life in perfect health or anything else. Look, we're going to have trials and challenges and everything else. But, but we go to the word of God, don't we? And we can we can have that faith in in the law. But but with this with this chapter for me, there's such a picture of salvation there, isn't there? There's such a picture of salvation. And, and that salvation is is in, as we've just seen earlier on, it, it you know, the picture is in Boaz. But Boaz, uh, sorry, is a, sorry, Boaz is that picture of Christ. And there's those pictures there of that. But it's reminding us, it's just giving it and it's pointing towards Jesus Christ ultimately, isn't it, in the future? And and look, that's what salvation is. It's a rest, isn't it? And it's as easy as that. Yet how many, how many churches around this country, around this world, how many are trying to add something to salvation? Isn't it wicked? How clear is it that it's a rest, that it's not of works? How clear is it that, you, that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, that, 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 it's, that it all comes down to the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, paying for all your sins. Yet, how, how often, I mean, how rare does it seem to be that anyone even believes that anymore, even believes what the Bible says? But, wow, what a, what, what a gift that is, eh? What a gift, and what a great reminder in Ruth chapter 3 of that. And it's something that, look, we don't want to be, we don't want to go too far and be the sort of church that just preaches the gospel week in, week out, yeah? Because hopefully someone will come in who's unsaved and hopefully someone who's been sitting here unsaved is going to finally get it if I preach it in like the tenth different way, yeah? But on the flip side, it's good sometimes to be reminded of it, isn't it? And, and look, I know a lot of, most people here go out soul winning regularly, okay? So in a way, when, because, look, we are told to put on the helmet, of, of the hope of salvation, aren't we? Okay, and part of that is to remind yourself of that salvation, remind yourself of that free grace, because the devil's going to try and tempt you and try and confuse you and try and weaken you and try and make you question and everything else. And going out and preaching the gospel actually does really help with that, doesn't it? Because those verses are just cemented in your heart. You preach them time and time again. But some don't. And some some will be in, you know, will come into church and stuff. And, and, and look, sometimes we do need a reminder of what the gospel is, don't we? Sometimes we do need a reminder of that free gift. We do need a reminder that, it's, that by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Yeah, don't we need reminding of that sometimes just to, even if it's just to say, praise God, 
Praise God that, that I'd be given that free gift. Praise God that he died for me. Praise God that, that I don't have to do anything but put my faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, praise God that, that I called on him in faith. And, and that calling on him, again, I, I won't go off for one on that, but, but you have to call on the name of the Lord in faith, yeah? Okay, that is part of faith, is calling on the name of the Lord. If you believe, you're going to ask him, okay? It's pretty simple, isn't it? And, how, and again, that's been, people attack, they just attack everything. They just attack the gospel in one way or another, don't they? And you just, the latest attack will come. And obviously online, it's quite, quite a thing now, isn't it? Obviously the online world's big. But if we're, if we're in the word of God and we're reminding ourselves time and time again and we're out solding and we're preaching the gospel, we could just have that strength that comes from it, eh? That, that shield of faith, you know, that shield of faith, that helmet of the hope of salvation. And it helps us then go through life just reminding yourself you're saved. When you have that trouble, remind yourself, no, but you're saved. But you're saved. Verily, verily, I send to you, he that believes in me hath everlasting life. You have it. You can't lose it. You have it. What, what a great gift. What a great reminder in, in chapter 3 here of, of, that, of that free gift of salvation. And um, Yeah, one more chapter to go next week of Ruth. Um, and, and yeah, like I said as well, just those pictures as well. Just you know, And you'll start to see as you read the Bible more and more, just all these different pictures of Christ, of the gospel, of... Of, of the Lord and, and it's amazing and, and again it's just such like again it's a great faith strengthener as well isn't it to think when that when was that written that was written what 1500 years about a thousand years something like that before Jesus Christ yet how many pictures of Christ are in there eh? isn't it amazing absolutely amazing yet you kind of feel don't you, you look at that and you think oh, if I could just show someone that it's not going to convince them though is it uh, even uh, even one were to rise from the dead, they still won't believe, will they? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they don't believe the word of God. Yeah, neither shall they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. And and that that's even with this. But for those who are saved, doesn't it strengthen your faith when you read bits like that and see stuff like that? Um, on that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you. Um, I thank you for for a great book of the Bible there. That that you know, like I said at the beginning on kind of first glance you could just quickly skim over it and and not see all these you know for example in this chapter those great pictures of uh, of christ and salvation and that rest in jesus christ and um thank you for for the other lessons we're learning from it thank you for 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 just that that great example in ruth of a virtuous woman and and that 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 sort of benchmark that 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 you know women here should 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 aspire to be like and and that help us as men here to also help our wives to, to be what you want them to be and help them to help us to be what we want to be through just being that support and everything else and encouraging us to be the, the, you know the spiritual leaders that you want us to be and lord i thank you um i thank you for this church thank you for all the great people here that that just want to live for you and and want to want to not only live out the word of god but also go and preach that word as well to others and get them saved and i Pray that you help us do that this week. Help us to just open our mouths boldly and preach the gospel and to get many salvations. Be back again next week uh, safely and soundly for another day in your house. And in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.